welcome to another episode for the Penn State AG podcast. Um, my name is Annie. I'll be your moderator today. And today we bring another a returning topic on retirement, but this time we're going to get input from the FEMA perspective. And so I'd like for you guys to introduce yourself. Um, we can start with Jane. Hi, I'm Jane Rehosik Clampett. I graduated with my chemical engineering degree from Penn State in 1979. I'm currently living in um, outside of uh, Wilmington, Delaware. Um, I uh, am retired and I had been working at the DuPont company for a good number, 30 plus years. And um, you asked about my favorite memory at Penn State. And it's, I don't know if you get this answer from many people, but it's hard to pick just one favorite memory. So I'm gonna go over the number one. Um, and I would top, top it off by saying, I just met some wonderful people that turned into some longtime friends. And that the memories that I have with meeting those people and enjoying our friendship in State College and at University Park and, and beyond as, as we graduated and moved on in our lives has, has just been wonderful. And I look back so many times and I think about uh, where life has taken me and when I have been able to make the kinds of friends that I made at Penn State. Um, and it's it's not continuous, but it comes and goes. Uh, but I have some really good friends that I've made at Penn State that um, I love and that I'll have forever. Um, a couple of other things that I loved, and, and I talk about this with so many people um, after graduation, is just missing all those walks around campus. The campus is, campus is just beautiful in every season of the year. And I had a lot of walking to do from wherever my apartment was to wherever my classes were. And, um, you know, seeing the squirrels jumping all around and just enjoying the beautiful walks on campus were fantastic. Football games were so much fun, um, different speakers and events that, that I went to, you know, hold a memory in my life. Um, and as well, I was a student ambassador at uh, the branch campus, or we call them Commonwealth campuses now, where I went. And, and that was really special for those, for that sophomore year of mine. Oh, that's awesome. Did you, um, were you ambassadors for specific um, branches or just like one campus? Well, I, I uh, went to um, what's now called uh, the Greater Allegheny Campus. At the time, it was the McKeesport Campus. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was just for that campus. And so I think after your freshman year, um, a couple of us were invited to become ambassadors so that we can onboard incoming freshmen. So um, it was just for that campus and just for that year. Gotcha. Awesome. Uh -huh. How about you, Sue? I, I'm Suzette Schaefer-Schultz. I graduated in 1983. I have BS degrees in chemistry and chemical engineering. So I was supposed to be in the class of 82, the year that we won the national championship, but I had to stick around a little longer to get those degrees. Uh, luckily, some of the chemistry electives were also uh, used in the chemical engineering department back, back and forth, but I still had had uh, two more terms, we were on terms. So I actually graduated March of, of 83. Uh, my favorite memory because you know football was so important in 1982, I remember sitting in the stands. Back then the seniors got to sit pretty close to the 50 yard line, maybe on the 45 or so. And the year that we won the national championship, that was just something special I'll always remember. I really wasn't much of a football fan growing up, but I certainly was after going to Penn State. 
That's uh, good to hear. <laughs> yeah, I'm living outside of Philadelphia on the western edge of the, the suburbs, uh, not too far from Jane, actually. We're probably about 15 or so miles away. Uh -huh. uh, I worked in the pharmaceutical industry and as she worked in the chemical industry. I spent 10 years at Bristol Myers Squibb and then 26 years at AstraZeneca. Uh, and I retired about two years ago. Awesome, awesome. Thank you guys for sharing your introductions. Um, so the first question that we're gonna ask is, what do you guys enjoy the most about retirement and do you ever miss going back to work? Sue? Uh, the people, I, I miss the people. We had some phenomenal people that I worked with. They were all top notch. I don't know how the company did such a great job of hiring people that were um, <clears throat> committed, uh, intelligent. You could have a conversation with them about anything. And I really do miss the people. I've made a lot of friends and even now I meet up with them for lunch now and then. Um, I did enjoy going to work. I ended up as a senior global project manager, and I'll talk a little bit about that later. But I got to work with people around the globe, and I really enjoyed that. I thought that was great. But it got to the point where I was ready to, to move on to something else. And um, yeah, it was just time for me to, to move on just to something new and, and challenging in a different way. That's great. How about you, Jane? What's your input? What do I like the most about retirement? I would say is um, just being able to do whatever I want to do yeah. um, on, on any given day. Sure. I'm very busy. Yeah, people in retirement often marvel at how busy you are in retirement because you thought you were busy when you were working. And in retirement, you know, I have a list a mile long of things I want to do or should do or have to do. Um, and I just like being on my own schedule. So if that's uh, from not having to wake up with an alarm in the morning anymore, um, I wake up when I wake up and um, I've gotten myself into somewhat of a routine that I enjoy. I like to do some kind of a walk or a workout first thing in the morning before, you know, as soon as my feet hit the ground, I'm not gonna have breakfast or whatever. I just get myself into my day. And uh, um, I, I really enjoy being able to, to kind of do the things that I wanna do. Um, not to say that I wasn't enjoying the things I was doing at work, but you know, you have to do it at least five days a week and there's a schedule to it and you just don't have that, um, you know, freedom and flexibility um, to do things when you want to, to be doing them. Um, and do I miss going to work? No, I'm really happy in retirement. I had a wonderful career and I, as Sue talked about meeting and working with so many wonderful people from all over the world, I know I would echo that, but no, I don't miss it. There are many people that I, I met and uh, was in you know very good work groups with, and we stay together. We, we still connect in various ways um, through COVID here. It's been through Zoom calls, but otherwise would have uh, cocktail times or lunch times or you know, somebody's having a, new, having a baby or some life event is happening and we still get together and it's, it's really nice to do that. That's awesome, that is great to hear. How about some hobbies? Did you guys um, develop or um, in place new hobbies um, since retirement, um, Jane? I would say I have not, although I have ideas for them, but I, I alluded to uh, something I wasn't able to do enough of whenever I was working. And that was just um, keep myself physically active. Um, you know, I, I retired in my late fifties. I had a family, my kids kept me very busy and I just didn't have time to work out. And so now every morning, I'm, I love the fact that I could wake up and walk. It's about a 5K to go through my neighborhood. 
I come back, I do some, you know, upper body weight workouts, and then I finally have my breakfast. And that's my routine that I've kind of gotten into a rhythm with, and it makes me feel good. I feel, you know, I'm just happy to get the fresh air and feel good about, you know, feeling healthy and doing something for myself. That sounds like my routine. I, I strive to do that um, every day. I like working out like not right when I wake up, but like eat early morning before breakfast type of deal. And then after that, normally with like COVID and everything, I try to walk at least three miles around campus. So about a 5k, you know, gotta Good get my you. steps in. <laughs> for you, I hope you can keep that up through a, a big part of your life. I hope so too. I mean, even now it's still a struggle. Some, some days I'm just not feeling it. There was a time in February where I just um, didn't walk for like a whole week, so. <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. How about you, Sue? Do you have any hobbies that you gained after retirement? Um, I actually got reconnected. I was board president of Girls Inc. of Delaware, and I had, had been on that board for quite a while, and I rolled off, and they asked me to come back, and um, I was disappointed when I found out the shape that the organization was in. So over the last year or so, I've actually worked very hard. To, we've hired all new staff. Uh, with COVID, we actually set up learning pods. So we have girls, uh, these girls come from uh, disadvantaged neighborhoods and uh, many of them don't have parents at home that enforce them to dial into Zoom calls, help them with their homework. So just you know, getting the, uh, the organization back on track, we have about 30 plus girls that we handle at multiple sites. We are offering um, summer camp this year and we're also gearing up for our big gala. So I've been very involved with the organization. That's taken up a lot of my time. And, and like Jane, I've kind of become a gym rat. I never really had the time at work. You know, I spent an hour each way commuting. And so by the time I got home, it was, you know, you don't, don't, you don't feel like exercising at 7.30 at night when you get up at 5.30 in the morning and you just want to eat something and just watch a little TV and go to bed and repeat the process. So I go to the gym about six days a week for an hour, hour and a half. I really enjoy that. And um, yeah, it's, it's just a chance for me to get back and get healthy. And, and as I should have been all along, but never really had the opportunity when you're working. It's just hard, you know? Yeah. Good to hear, strong woman. But that's amazing for the organization. Um, that is awesome. Yeah, it's, it's something I enjoy and totally different from my engineering education. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the things that I learned in engineering, how to, how to be organized, how to uh, handle problems are things that you learn in engineering school and they're really applicable to anything that you ever wanna do. Here I am working in the nonprofit world. I never thought I'd be doing that. I kind of fell into it by accident and really enjoy it. And I've been doing this since about 2009. Wow, that's awesome. Awesome. I want to like give you like a reward or a congratulations or something. <laughs> that's amazing. That's something that I know I like looked forward to in the future um, that I was considering. Like I have like my little like life plan. I don't know if I'm going to follow it, but it's something to keep my mind busy, you know? <laughs> Your life plans will change many times between now and then. Yes, yes it will. <laughs> I'm very involved with AICHE and have been since, oh my gosh, 2007 maybe. You know, there was a long time when I was working, I never really had time to get involved with the organization, but mm -hmm. I've been sitting on the board ever since, board chair for one year, and, and I, I really enjoy the interactions. The networking is wonderful, and you get to meet people in all different industries with the same background, which is mm -hmm. interesting. That's amazing to hear. I look forward to that one day. Yeah, um, so then... 
we're going to transition back about your journey of your career. Can you guys walk us through um, where you've worked at and then maybe a general overview of all the different types of positions that you would like to highlight um, from your career? Um, we can start with Sue. Okay. Um, I got a job at Bristol Myers Webb in Evansville, Indiana. Um, <clears throat> I was lucky I was hired at the company because when I graduated, it was a very bad time to get a job. And I, I think I was just very lucky that I actually had a position. It wasn't that I got to pick and choose. It was if anybody offered me a job, I was going to take it. It didn't matter if it was being a janitor or, or whatever. I was going to take the job. I was very lucky, though. Bristol Myers Squibb had an awesome training program. And I started as a foreman, which was I was actually a packaging supervisor. And I got to work uh, from there. I moved into the process engineering group where we would uh, scale up processes or identify problems with them. So I got to use some of my technical background. Um, after 10 years at Bristol Myers Squibb, I moved on to AstraZeneca and I was there for 26 years. I came in as a process engineer, so it was kind of a lateral move. I got to work on development and scale up of, of two key drugs. One is called Arimidex and it's used primarily for women with breast cancer. Um, we didn't really think it was going to be much of, of, a, of a drug when we were doing all the development work. It turned out to be a banner drug and is the gold standard in use today uh, for women who have breast cancer. So I'm real proud of the work that we did there. Um, from there, awesome. having all the, the technical background, I got to meet a lot of the R&D people. And mm -hmm. so I moved into a different role. I was more technical services where I was working with outside contractors that made drugs for us. I was on the auditing team. I would look at, at their batch records and understand the problems that they had. And then that job kind of went away and I was shoved into a project management role. And I really didn't think that was what I wanted to do, but it turned out to be the best job of all. I got to use all of the knowledge I'd ever had from learning how, seeing raw materials coming in to the finished packages going out the door. I got to use my international experience by talking to people all over Europe and the Far East uh, and South America. And so to me, it was the best job of all, just being organized and being able to make things happen for the company. So that was the job I retired from. That is a great end note. That is awesome. Your journey is a really, really unique one, special one to you for sure. How about you, Jane? What was your um, career like? So when I graduated, uh, my first job after graduation was working in Philadelphia for the Gulf oil refinery. Gulf is no longer, I, I don't think they're refining oil any longer. Um, and Gulf had a three-year rotational program where, <coughs> excuse me, um, uh, at the end of every year, you would rotate among uh, technical service, um, operations, and planning. So um, I think I went through uh, like technical support um, for my first year, and then I got into the planning role. And my sense of working in an oil refinery from there, I, I didn't stay for the third year is why I didn't talk about the third one. Um, but the sense that I got from working there, um, it just wasn't uh, for me uh, in a lot of ways. And one of them was that uh, I just kind of got the appreciation that we we as an industry have been refining oil for years and years and years. And 
the way that you're going to refine oil from a technological standpoint was probably not going to change. Now, maybe that was naive in terms of my view of the world and the future uh, for the oil refining industry at the time, but I, uh, I just felt like there wasn't going to be an interesting future for me staying in the oil refining business. Um, so uh, it turned out I was very lucky in that uh, because they had this rotational program, there were probably about 10 to 12 new engineers every year that came to work there. And whenever there was something going on, whether it was um, college students coming into interview or career fairs uh, going on on college campuses where they liked to recruit, they would send their new engineers. So I ended up working the career fair at Penn State after my first year. Mm -hmm. And I loved being part of that career fair. And the table next to mine, or the table next to the golf table, uh, was the DuPont table. So we got friendly and we met the people from, <laughs> from DuPont. And, uh, you know, we watched the baseball games. You know, I think the World Series might have been going on or big baseball games at the time. Mm -hmm. We were in town, everybody just loved being back in State College. Mm -hmm. And so we took each other's contact information. And when I got to the point of realizing that oil refining was not gonna be my long-term career path, um, I got in touch with those um, recruiters from the DuPont company. And I said, I'm, I'm you know, in the job market now and I'd like to you know, look and see what, avail what might be available at DuPont. And so um, I ended up, uh, you know, leaving Gulf Oil and coming to work for DuPont. So that was kind of a funny story and a funny turn of events. But um, my career at DuPont lasted for 34 years. I started in uh, a technical support role for a product area that was used to um, image circuit boards. So we were in the printed circuit industry and we sold a photo resist. And my job was to um, evaluate new products that came out of R&D and develop them into spec sheets. And then I transitioned from that into traveling and visiting customers along with our technical salespeople to um, introduce the new product into their operations. And so it was interesting. There's, there's quite a lot of processing that goes on to make a circuit board. There's a lot of chemistry that goes on and, and mm. a lot of engineering that goes on there. Um, not only in the design of the circuit board, but in the manufacturing of them. And so um, I really enjoyed interacting with customers. I moved out of the new product introduction kind of work into the troubleshooting work. Um, and I was traveling around with so many salespeople and visiting so many customers. I really got the bug and I said, this is really interesting. This is really so much fun. I'm working with so many different salespeople and I think that I could do as good or better job as many of them were doing. And so I just started making noises within you know, my leadership group to say, hey, I'd really like to go into sales. And mm -hmm. so once I moved into sales, that first assignment that I had was probably the most fun job I've ever had in my life. I loved the variety of dealing with so many different customers and solving technical problems. And you know, I could solve them. <laughs> so there were a lot of, you know, small successes that, you know, every day or every week or something like that. And uh, so that's, that just took me in a career path that I never looked back from. So I, I continued on in, in marketing and sales positions as I moved through my career. And I never really got back into doing pure technical work, troubleshooting or anything like that. So um, I got involved in doing supply chain management. I got involved in product management 
And then um, I got involved in marketing. Um, I, I took a detour and went and worked in quality management at one of the manufacturing plants at DuPont and then said, no, put me back into marketing and sales. And so I ended up in a corporate group, which was really very interesting because um, in this corporate group, you were working with all of the businesses across the company and DuPont had you know, <clears throat> uh, businesses everywhere from agricultural um, um, products that kill weeds and take care of fungus and bugs to house wrap for Tyvek to uh, counter surfaces and such like Corian, as well as very high end plastics that went into aerospace, automotive, other transportation areas and a whole gamut of industries and markets and applications. Um, and my role varied in that corporate group um, in terms of supporting um, sales excellence or uh, helping manage pricing or developing strategic marketing processes and strategies. Um, I just got into so many different aspects of marketing and sales through the exposure that I got in that corporate group that, that I just love. So I ended my career um, leading and managing a customer experience approach um, for DuPont uh, that was aimed at helping the company um, reinforce its focus on customers. Different businesses were at different places in their strength of focus there. Um, and uh, we did a lot of things that got into um, uh, net promoter score work, customer surveying, customer journey mapping, and then developing new strategies to really focus on the customer and grow the business. That was always the, the aim that we had. So it was quite a quite a left turn after um, having a chemical engineering degree, um, but um, it was it was a fun and a great career for me. Yeah, you mentioned the 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 plant versus the corporate environment. I want to tie. I want to talk a little bit more about that. I spent about half of my career working at a pharmaceutical plant, and the other half working in corporate management. And they are very very different. Mm -hmm. In the plant, it's a lot more technical, a lot more fast paced, a lot more get it done and, and get it out of here. Uh, where in corporate, I learned a lot more about how the business ran, how does finance and legal and marketing and compliance and all of those other groups that I, I would drive by the office and think, what do all those people do in that big, uh, that big office building? And it was amazing some of the things that I got exposed to working in the corporate area and really understood a lot about how the business ran itself. When you work at a plant, you see raw materials coming in and then you see the finished product going out the, uh, the other end of the door. And you think that's the entire world of the corporation, but the company is so much more than that with all the, the ancillary things that have to be done uh, to bring a drug to market. Um, just the regulatory piece itself is, is a phenomenal thing and all the work going on right now with vaccines, I'm still very interested in all that. I'm just amazed at how quickly we were able to bring a vaccine to market um, because I know how long it takes. If all of all the industries, the pharmaceutical industry is probably one of the most conservative out there. And they're always looking for the zero risk when there's really no such thing as zero risk. So it was kind of interesting working in a plant, working in, in corporate, I would get to go back and forth, uh, which I really enjoyed. It was almost like living in Europe and living in the United States. You like them both, but they're, they're different. Uh, and it was just really um, a fun environment in both of them. I, I enjoyed them both. Uh -huh. 
I do want to echo off of that because I know for my internships and co-ops, like I've worked with two companies and with both of them, I actually got the opportunity to see both sides, the manufacturing and the corporate side. So it was very interesting on how they all tied in together and like the big picture in the corporate world, whereas like in the manufacturing plant, you're like focused on that, like one smaller focus. Mm -hmm. um, so if any of you students who are listening, um, I would highly, highly advise you to gain exposure in that as a student in both areas to kind of find your area of what you like and what you don't like, because that is pretty crucial, you know, as you start your um, career. But I want to um, go back to Jane's um, point of like having unexpected networking and diverging from your technical to the sales and corporate and business marketing area. Did you ever think that your career would look like how it turned out? And how do you, if not, then how does it compare to how you thought your career would be? Well, the simple answer is no. I never imagined that my career would have turned out the way that it did. And to be honest, um, now you're talking, I graduated in 1979. Um, I only had a glimmer of an idea of what chemical engineers would do in their careers. And to be honest, we did so much um, you know, process uh, management and all the curriculum at Penn State for a chemical engineer just made me feel like, well, the, the thing that chemical engineers do is work in oil refineries. And so I'm gonna go take that job and you know, that's where I'm going to be. And I had no idea that, you know, there were things beyond working in an oil refinery and, um, you know, or some kind of, uh, you know, process manufacturing kind of role. Um, I just felt like when I was in college that refine, you know, oil refining was going to be a classic for a chemical engineer. Um, and I really didn't think beyond that, uh, to be honest, at the time. Um, maybe it was a sign of the times or maybe it was just me, but I really didn't have like a full career path laid out for myself to say, this is where I'm you know, going to start and I'm going to retire being the plant manager or the, something like that. Um, I, I just didn't know. And so what, um, you know, for all the opportunities that came to me through the networking that I did or just observing what was going on around me that kind of made me think about what I might like my next position or my next role to be. Um, it just kind of took on its own organic career path. Um, so I hope that answered your question, did it? Yeah, absolutely. And how about you, Sue? Did your career turn out to be what it was expected? Uh, sort of, kind of. I, I, I want to piggyback on what J Jane said. I really think the curriculum at the time, because I'm, I'm just a few years younger than her, uh, was very much driven toward getting a job at Dow, DuPont, the classic chemical companies, the, mm -hmm. uh, the PNG, Petroleum Natural Gas Engineering, those types of things. So all of the classes that we took were pretty much geared that way. I decided early on I wanted to work in the pharmaceutical industry. So for me, a lot of the courses, I didn't really enjoy the coursework, which is one of the reasons I took the, the chemistry degree. I took a lot more biochem under that and that kind of launched me into the pharmaceutical career. But did I think it was gonna turn out the way it did? Sort of, kind of, but not really. I don't think anybody really knows where, where they're gonna end up because the world keeps changing. You know, mm -hmm. I think back when I graduated, 
if you had told me I've got this iPhone that can tell me the, the cricket score in some obscure town in India, and I could talk to anybody anywhere in the world, I would have said, you're crazy. That was the stuff of science fiction. So the world's changed a lot and so have the jobs. And every time you know, the companies would change, there's always a metamorphosis. If they don't, they die. That's one of the reasons why golf, for example, really doesn't exist anymore. They didn't, they didn't adapt and, and they're gone. So, you know, you have to keep on looking at the industry, looking at the world and, and seeing what's out there. I, I dodged, I weaved, I, I have to say, I never got laid off from a job because I was always looking forward to what was happening and kind of moved around and took additional classes and coursework and expressed interest in things that I thought might be interesting. I also would volunteer for things that I would come out of the meeting and I think, why did I say I was gonna do that? I know nothing about contract law, for example. And I would teach myself contract law. I'm like, well, I'm as smart as any lawyer. I can figure this out. And so I kind of worked my way through a lot of things. And I, I think that's kind of how, how your career really is. I don't think I have a plan and I wouldn't go much further than that out because the world keeps changing. Awesome. I I know that's what everybody tells us now, like all of our professors do, like at least have a five-year plan so that you can aim towards something, but don't be upset if you don't follow it throughout or be you know, exact about it because you never know where you're gonna end up. Um, so now that you guys um, explain a little bit about what your journey was like and what you think it would be versus how it turned out, looking back at your um, journey, would you have done anything different to your career choice, Sue? Hmm, I probably would have um, gotten an MBA uh, just to understand a little bit more about how business operates because when I worked in the corporate world, I sat in meetings with some of these finance people and they were talking about things that I just didn't understand. So maybe, you know, take a little bit more course coursework in the, the business side of things. But overall, I think, you know, I, I, I enjoyed the technical side of things. I stayed for the most part in the technical part, except the very end where working in project management, you had to really rely on, on your people skills, but there was always that technical piece. Uh, when I would run projects, I would have people tell me, well, you know, it's gonna take two weeks to get this turned around. And I would look at them and I would say, have you talked to so-and-so? I know it can be done faster. Uh, so having that technical background, I kind of, people knew that they, they couldn't um, pull the wool over my eyes. And so I was grateful I had the technical background that I could actually have that conversation with them. Like, well, have you thought about this? Can we, can we shorten the timeline this way? You know, mm -hmm. hey, my, my, my end date hasn't moved, but you know, you know, I need to find two more days in the schedule. What can you do? So having that technical background worked it. I, yeah, I don't think I would have done anything different except maybe taking an MBA class and maybe a little bit more about the legal aspects of things. Awesome. How about you, Jane? Would you have done anything different to your career? Um, in general, no. And, and I would echo um, the perspective that Sue shared about um, maybe investing my time in getting an MBA. I started on that path. Um, and then life kind of uh, had me take some turns. Um, I don't know if this is uh, a female perspective or just a general career and life perspective, but as you're proceeding through your career, you have things going on in your life. And so for me, um, having kids um, kind of caused a need for 
uh, different kinds of balance and uh, mm -hmm. management of, of time. And so I started on my MBA program and within a couple of months, I became pregnant with my first child. And um, with that came a lot of fatigue. And when you're working full time and you're trying to take a couple of classes in the evenings to you know, work towards any kind of higher degree program, it just takes a lot of time and effort. You're reading a lot, you're working projects, you've got all kinds of new and different deadlines. I, I kind of worked myself through a couple semesters there and then I uh, decided I needed to take a break because I just couldn't keep it up. Um, and then once a new person comes into your world, it just throws everything up in the air. <laughs> and how you manage your time after that is you know, doing your best. Um, and I just never got back into um, the MBA program. And then I was transferred, you know, geographically to the West Coast, and I just never got back into um, pursuing my MBA. Now, did I need it to be able to proceed and grow in my career and do the kinds of things that I ended up doing? I don't think it ever held me back, um, but I do feel like sometimes just those credentials might have opened some doors that um, they didn't open for me because I didn't have them. Yeah, I think I think for most engineers having an MBA, unless you want to work in the business area, it's kind of a waste of time. Um, but it's also a great way to learn about how a business operates, and more importantly, to talk about. Uh, I hope, I hope we're, we're going to talk about investing and saving for retirement because that's that's kind of my my big thing. Every time I talk to students, I tell them, with your first paycheck, start saving money for your retirement, and they think I'm crazy where I think an MBA would have helped that they can understand a little bit more about how money management works, which is something we don't get in the normal um, chemical engineering curriculum. Mm -hmm. I want to echo off of that. Um, something John said in the other retirement podcast, he said that he told his kids to start saving 25%, you know, because um, fresh out of college, you didn't make much money anyway, so that saving 25% up front is practically quote unquote nothing at the time you know because like you're not making anything right now so definitely. yeah I think the, the sense there is that um, you've never been making that kind that kind of salary mm -hmm. you know until after you graduate and get that first job out of school so you've learned how to live on much less money oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so cutting out like a chunk of it like 25 percent since you've never had it before you don't really know what you're missing mm -hmm. and you can find a way to live um, yeah. with a 75% salary, yeah. you know, knowing that you have that 25% going someplace else. What yeah, I, I never that. thought about it yeah. being that high. Like whenever I was budgeting my own salary and like for my future, I was, you know, aiming for, you know, 10, 15, like the typical, when he said 25, I was like, wow, that's a lot. <laughs> well, well yeah. two things. if you work for a company that offers a, a match, Mm -hmm. Sign up for that match as soon as you can. That's free money. And I'm always amazed when I hear how many people aren't taking advantage of that. I, I just, I just want to scream. Um, the other thing is I would take my, anytime I've got a bonus or an increase, I would <laughs> convert the whole thing over to my savings. And so let's just say I made $10,000 a year. I made $10,000 a year for five years. And it's amazing. You can learn to live on that kind of money. Mm -hmm. uh, then the other money I invested and, and set aside, which is why um, it's something I, I strongly recommend. The other thing you have to understand is that, you know, we go through the hiring cycles. When I got out of school in 1983, I had friends that had job offers rescinded 
I didn't even know what the word meant. And so, you know, companies come and go, they downsize. I would always highly suggest to someone that they have extra money sitting there for those rainy day things when a car breaks down or, or the roof leaks or you lose your job in, in, in a bad um, economic downturn where it's really hard to find something. But mm -hmm. setting money aside is never a problem. And Jim Cramer does an excellent thing. He has a, a, a podcast on uh, compound interest and he talks about if, if you invest a hundred dollars and how much it's worth after one year and two years and so on it's like a snowball effect and a small investment really pays off big time down uh, you know at, at the end of, of your career and also gives you the option when it's time to go maybe the company has taken a turn that you don't like maybe um, you don't like your boss it happens uh, or it, you know you just don't like um getting up every morning at 5.15 and, and driving to work, you get to a point where it's no longer fun. And you think, you know, I've got the financial background, I can do what I want to do when I want to do it. And it mm -hmm. comes back to the things that we enjoy in retirement. I'm just grateful I had the option to leave when I wanted to on my terms and not when someone else said, hey, here's the boot, get out, <laughs> it's time to go. <laughs> That is awesome advice. Um, we'll definitely have to recruit you back for a personal finance topic in the future, for sure. It, it's, it's kind of my passion. I, I read a lot of, uh, of books about that kind of thing. Again, that kind of ties into the MBA. Mm -hmm. I, I, it's funny, I never really cared much about financial stuff until I went through a divorce and realized that I needed to get my financial house in order. I really didn't even know where the assets were. I knew almost nothing. And I, I think back, how naive and stupid I was. And I would always recommend to any young woman, if we're talking female engineers, always know your own finances, have your own money, have your own checking account or whatever. It doesn't mean you're planning on getting a divorce, but understand how money works because someday you might have a situation uh, where you need that information and you don't know. Awesome. So now that you guys explained for into depth um, your experiences, do you guys have any success and failure stories that you would like to share with the audience today? We can start with Jane. Okay. Um, my failure story I'll start with. <laughs> soon after, um, well, not soon, but relatively soon after uh, moving into a sales position. <clears throat> the division that I was working for uh, decided that they had not had a price increase in a long time for their product and their customers. And uh, so they were implementing a price increase. And so I, um, I had a quite a large account and all of my management around me knew that I had no experience in implementing a price increase. So um, we arranged to have like one of the best salespeople in the region, join me to go to this large account and explain that we were going to be increasing price. And the owner of the business um, got really upset. I mean, the veins were bulging on his neck <laughs> and he just kind of, he kind of leaned forward on his desk and he said, if you raise our prices, you blast the business, you're out of here to pull that kind of thing on me. <clears throat> so I looked over at the guy that I was, you know, that was supposed to be like the 
you know, seasoned salesperson and I'm thinking, okay, now what's he going to say? And how's he going to do this? Because it's my account that we're losing. We ended up losing the business. There was just, <laughs> we weren't going to fold. And so then I got the reputation for having lost this big account and for years and years and years, then it was always a big challenge for how are we going to win this business back again? And meanwhile, after we raised prices, then our competitors raised prices too. And so it was mm -hmm. just kind of an industry thing that happened. It was time to do that, I just had no knowledge about how to implement such a thing. Um, and so one of, um, you know, two jobs after I was in sales, I was uh, back out, you know, back in the headquarters offices and I was a product manager and prices were dropping like crazy. And so it was our job to, you know, work one-on-one -on -one with every salesperson that we had. And there were maybe like 20 or 30 of them to help claw, you know, <laughs> keep your prices up for as long as you could, or don't go down as low as, you know, lower than you needed to go. And so I became very well-versed in pricing and what goes into pricing and how to determine, you know, how to negotiate on pricing. And I was coaching all of these salespeople every day on how to do that. And I can't tell you how many times that I said to all of them, whether one-on-one -on -one or in big meetings, I wish I knew then what I know now, because life would have been so different. Um, and my, uh, my success with that very large account would have been so different if I knew how to do this better than, better than I did it um, at that time. So that was a big failure, but I learned a lot uh, mm -hmm. from that. And I think from any kind of uh, failure, you know, you learn. That's mm -hmm. the way things are. And so it might be devastating or embarrassing or, you know, uncomfortable, whatever. A version of, of that might uh, be um, in whatever failures anybody comes again, comes upon. Um, but I think most of us will find that we're gonna learn from that and come out in a better place. Um, to talk about a success, what was really fun and, and I think very impactful um, all around the company was uh, a piece of work that I got involved in um, at a corporate level uh, there was a, a recognition of the notion that we did not have good marketing and sales processes and we needed to develop um, better processes to get to really good strategies around sales and marketing. So it was a fantastic opportunity for me because I was relatively new in that group and uh, the group was populated by a number of uh, people who had been in academia mm -hmm. and were assistant professors and um, were not sure that they wanted to get onto the tenure track. They wanted to kind of do something else and then maybe go back into academia to you know, take their careers forward. So we had a number of um, very strong marketing people in pricing and branding and so, um, supply chain management and um, human resources management. Um, and oh, I can't even remember them all, but we had probably about six to 10 of these associate professors working in my group. And uh, myself and another guy were tasked with pulling them together to kind of build out how would you develop a process for getting to a strong marketing strategy. 
And it was almost like my getting my MBA, only I didn't go to school to get it because I was working with all of these guys. And it was so interesting because they didn't all agree around how to do pricing or how to do branding or how to, you know, do a good job around positioning or, um, you know, build up the product portfolio. Um, and so it was eye-opening to realize that so many people had so many different opinions about how to do this and then to reconcile them all and build out a process that then became a corporate process for developing a marketing strategy mm -hmm. or a corporate process for developing a sales strategy. And then um, my, our job was to go and work with individual businesses and run them through this process so that they could develop their individual strategies. Um, so it took a good maybe 18 months of work to get to a standardized process and then to roll it out across the corporation and have so many businesses use the process that we identified and built um, to the point that it was really, it became kind of like a gold standard for the businesses around the company to use this process to get to a strategy to determine how you can grow and how quickly your growth might come from that kind of work. So it was exciting work. It was very intense, very busy. It was, you know, every day, once that strategy was built, I was working with a different business, maybe down in Richmond, maybe up in Philadelphia, maybe up in Boston, sometimes traveling to Chicago or elsewhere uh, to kind of facilitate groups to work towards their uh, strategy development. It was great fun. I got such great exposure and it was um, uh, upon reflecting on it years past after I had gone into different roles to hear people talk about still using that process. So it, it was a, it was a, it was a really, um, you know, good, um, impactful kind of body of work. That's awesome. That is such a huge accomplishment. How about you, Sue? Do you have any success or failure stories that you would like to share? Yeah, uh, let me start with the failure story because this one's kind of funny. Um, when I was working at Bristol Myers Squibb, we were making a product, I don't even remember what it was, and it used a special type of alcohol, which had five percent, was, was denatured, had zero alcohol in it. And I looked at that and I thought, why are we spending all that money on that very, very expensive alcohol? Because it had to go through processes to get rid of any residual water. So I had this great idea to use just regular, I think it had 5% water or something along that line. And so to my surprise, management let me try it. So we had this huge granulator, it had about 5,000 pounds of material in it, and we pumped in this alcohol. It was a bitter failure. It seized up, it, it looked like concrete. The operators, when we opened the door, it didn't flow at all. They had to get it, uh, they had to actually beat it out and they had to, like with a pitchfork to try to get it out of this granulator. <laughs> I, I was so mortified. I looked at management, I thought, well, if you, did you not know this? Well, no, we never tried it, but we thought we'd give you a chance at it. I was so surprised that they let me do it. And it was a bitter failure, but I learned a very valuable lesson. Sometimes it's worth paying more for the high quality product because you really do get it paid back in the end. So that was my failure story. Uh, my success story is I, I actually got to, at one point I was involved with launching drugs. And so my job as a project manager was to get all the pieces together to be able to launch a, a, a drug. 
uh, things like getting the regulatory approval, getting the labeling here, um, ordering bottles and caps and, and the product itself, which would come in from a different country. And so um, I had this, the, the record for how the fastest rollout of a new drug, which was 10 days. We had a new drug coming out for uh, advanced lung cancer. Within 12 hours, we had uh, the product on pharmacy shelves. And within 24 hours, it was being administered to patients. So I was real proud of that work. That was a real great success after so much. We, we worked through the process over and over and over again, ad nauseum. And finally, I said, please just give us FDA approval. We're just, we're, I'm tired. I don't want to go through one more simulation of what if this could happen, that could happen. So I was glad that everything fell into place and we did it in less than six hours. So I think that's a record that still stands. Wow, that's amazing. Good for you. All right, so we've talked, since you guys have gone into um, fairly highly technical fields, how much school knowledge or technical knowledge did you have to know starting off your position um, post-graduation before you moved into like the corporate area? Um, Sue? Well, I think I used the term adiabatic heat process once in my entire career. Um, I really don't think a lot of the technical knowledge that I got at Penn State really was applicable because again, as I mentioned, it was kind of, wasn't really geared to the pharmaceutical industry. It was really geared more to the mm -hmm. pure chemical industry. Uh, but what you learn at Penn State is more how to think, how to work through problems, how to manage uh, things like that. Did I use any of the technical knowledge? Uh, don't tell the professors, but I really don't think so. I don't think I learned hardly any of it. Maybe I did some coding work at one point where you've got, I did some work with temperatures and pressures and, and, uh, and spray rates, but for the most part, no, not really. How about you, Jane? Did you use a lot of your technical knowledge from school? I would say at a very conceptual level, um, but not at a detailed level. None of my work had to do with process, you know, technical process design. Um, or, um, you know, how to engineer yourself out of a problem. It was, it, was, um, it was already designed and I had to figure out what was going on and how to work within it. Um, and so I would say that a lot of the benefit I got from all that I learned in, at, you know, to earn my degree had to do with understanding the general flow of things Mm -hmm. And to be able to grasp, yeah. um, you know, I mentioned working at the DuPont company, all of these various different products and their applications when you're, when you're developing marketing or sales strategy, the product does come into play. And so to understand how the product works to the point where then there might be some, you know, key features of that that go into your value proposition that support whatever your pricing is going to be and how do you communicate about that. Um, it was very valuable to me to have the technical and engineering background to be able to help the businesses translate that into how to best position your product in your target market. That's great. Awesome. Um, so now we're going to transition to like the gray side of the area of instead of technical skills, the soft skills. So what type of soft skills that you guys noticed the most that transferred between all the different positions that you've helped? Um, Jane? I would say leadership. Um, just to kind of uh, recognize that 
um, you're never going to be working on something by yourself. There's always going to be people that you're working with. And when it, even if you're not the leader, you recognize that leadership is needed in a very, in a variety of aspects of the work. Mm -hmm. And so just recognizing how to step back and think about all the moving parts and all the, you know, personalities and, and drivers of, of what's going on and be able to harness all of that to get uh, a positive result is, um, is something that has taken me through every, every role that I've had in my career. Um, when leadership is needed or when things are humming along just fine the way things are working, um, to really understand how to step up when some, some step up is needed, you know, or to recognize it's needed, but maybe I'm not the right person to be filling the need, um, to use the leadership skills that you develop along the way to be able to convince and, and um, influence other people to step into roles that they need to step into or to take a direction that maybe we weren't taking previously. Mm -hmm. I, I would point to leadership through all of that. So what, um, building off of that, what are some of the skills that you would suggest for current students to invest in either during their time at Penn State or like within their first to, sec first to three years of like experience? What, what skills to work on is your question? Yes. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, I, I would say uh, one would be to kind of recognize a bigger picture um, that you might have been given a particular job assignment, but um, you're not a silo. You might do your job very, very well if you were a standalone, you know, on an island someplace, but chances are you're not. And so recognizing that bigger picture, whether it's you know, uh, if you're working in some kind of process manufacturing area and whatever you're doing, understand where something is coming to you, you know, what are your inputs and then what are your outputs and how do your outputs affect the next thing that's going to be happening? And, you know, you could look at that linear process as well as try to take a step from above to watch all of it happen or imagine all that's happening and figure out how you're contributing to it and maybe how you can better contribute to it. Awesome, thank you. How about you, Sue? What type of skills do you see that was most transferred between all of the positions that you've held? I would say people skills, being able to work with people cross-culturally with, everyone comes in with their own background. Um, I'll, I'll give an example. I was working with the folks in China Chinese are very different than Americans uh, and just, you know, trying to understand their culture and trying to understand how they make decisions. So I would say people skills and, and a recognition that there are diverse people, not just, I'm not talking skin color, I'm talking backgrounds, you know, geographic backgrounds. People come from all over the world. They have all different experiences and they have all different expectations. So people skills, I think are transferable. Um, you know, to, to piggyback on what Jane said about leadership, uh, I, I do agree with that. I think leadership is important, but also the other thing that's important is never be afraid to ask for help. If you don't know what you're doing, don't pretend that you do. Find someone who's maybe worked in that area before, a more senior person, and just say, hey, I don't understand. Can you please help me work through this? 
And I think new students coming out of school, they, you know, they feel that they have to know everything right off the bat. And the, and the answer is that the people in industry expect you to know almost nothing. And so, but we need some feedback on help us understand where the gap is. What do you not have that we need to give you for you to be successful? So I would say, you know, never be afraid to ask for help and, and never, never act like you know what you're doing when you don't, because I've seen people's careers go down the tubes when they were too proud to ask for help. I add something to what Sue was saying. You, you made some very, very good points, but one that I'd like to talk about is your comment about diversity. And I'd like to just kind of, diversity comes in all shapes and sizes yep. um, to use that phrase. But when you assemble a group of people to work on something, or you have an organization full of people, um, one of the things that, um, I, I really got a lot out of it, was learning about wisdom that you get from everyone in the room. Mm -hmm. There's a diversity of thought. Yeah. Um, and so you might find that there are people in the room who will be saying, um, this will never work. Or we tried this a while ago, it didn't work then, why should it work now? Yeah. Or people who will say, We've been doing this like this. We've been doing something the same way all along. It's been working. Why, why do we fix what isn't broken? Um, so many varied perspectives that people have that represent a diverse way of addressing a problem or trying to avoid addressing a problem. Um, one thing that I've learned is, is to, to kind of think about the notion that if people weren't expressing whatever it is that they're expressing, um, they just wouldn't show up or they would sit quietly back in the corner. So the only reason that, that people are bringing their thoughts to the conversation is because they care mm -hmm. and they really want to improve whatever the situation is that is being worked on. And so if you kind of like say, what can I learn from that person who's saying it'll never work? Or what can I learn from that person who is saying, we tried it before, and there's no use trying it again. Or, you know, all the varieties of things that people might be saying, <clears throat> rather than judge right away, take the time to understand what background they're coming from and why they're expressing themselves the way that they're expressing themselves and figure out a way of harnessing all of that towards where you're aiming. Yeah, so, so let me just give you my, my real quick antidote. Um, working as a, as a project manager with global projects, I got to work with people around the globe. I lived in Germany for a year. My mother's from Germany. So I understand that in the German culture, time is very important. If the train leaves at eight, you can watch the second hand hit 12 and the train begins to move. They are, it, punctuality is extremely important. So Swedish people are very much like Germans and I get that. Um, I had a team of Swedish people and Mexican people. We were moving manufacturing from Sweden to Mexico. Now the Mexicans have a very different perspective of time. So they would typically show up to a meeting 10 minutes late. The Swedes got upset thinking that their time was not valuable and they were being disrespected. So I'm on the call with the folks in Sweden. We're talking about the weather and let me tell you, it's always cold and rainy and not very nice. So. <laughs> We had that whole conversation 
And then I'm waiting for the Mexicans to call in and they didn't call in. And 10 minutes later, one person called in, then 15 minutes, like someone else. And so at the end of an hour, we got very little done. I called the project manager in Mexico and I said, listen, um, we need to do a better job of getting people there on time. And I explained to them how their, their time value was very different than the Swedes and how they felt that they were being disrespected. That's all I had to say. At the next call, the Mexicans called in five minutes early. And then we had to talk about the, the weather in Mexico until the Swedes joined us. So uh, it's just kind of funny understanding the different cultures. And once they announced of how their views, they were very understanding and, and they respected each other. And then everything worked out fine after that. That's awesome. I know that's something my dad always brings up to me too, because he's like, oh yeah, like, because he... Every job that he's ever had, he's always in like in some global field. And so he's always working with like people from different countries, different cultures. And he's like, you know, I've learned to grow about like the time difference of what people expect to be, what is quote unquote on time now. And so that is, you brought up a really funny conversation I had with my dad a while ago about that. But um, I do want to echo off of something that you guys both said. Um, I've definitely experienced this um, when I planned the regional conference uh, for ASHE 2019 is understanding people's why, um, definitely digging deeper into understanding or working with people who have different goals or different outcomes in mind. Um, I feel like a lot of times when we're on a team, we can say that everybody has a same common goal, but also you have to look at the individual. What are their individual goals? Why are they on this team? And kind of understand their perspective of things in order to gauge of how um, the effectiveness of the team moving forward. And that's something that I know I personally experienced and I'm grateful that I experienced it um, from like a young, I guess, age. <laughs> I feel old saying that. Um, but definitely I want to echo off of that um, for the students who are listening. So I'm gonna transition into the question of, how do you guys know when you wanna retire? Um, when did you know that it, retirement was quote unquote right for you? Jane? Well, one thing I would say is that um, <clears throat> as you get closer to retirement age, you start thinking about um, what that might be like and when it might happen for you. And there are probably people that you're working with that just retired or are also talking about it and thinking about it. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, for me, it was not um, wake up someday and that's, you know, now I need, I, I, I'm done. I, I need to kind of move on from here and, and uh, move myself into a retirement phase of life. Um, it, for me, it was uh, watching what was going on around the company and figuring out what next role might there be for me or not. Um, and so for me, there was a lot of uh, uh, change going on at my company. I worked, I mentioned uh, for the DuPont company and I don't know uh, <clears throat> how much you know or others that might be listening uh, to know that there was a period of time, I wanna say 2015, 2016, mm -hmm. when uh, there was a merger of the Dow and the DuPont company and that just kind of threw everything up in the air. There was an activist investor that had ideas about um, companies like Dow and DuPont who were so broad, you know, being in architecture and aerospace and everything in between um, to say that uh, 
would stockholders be better served if there were companies that were just focused into various market uh, places. Um, and so I was sitting in a corporate marketing and sales group and now there was a merger and the notion was that the company was gonna be divided into some smaller divisions and that there was no longer going to be a corporate marketing and sales group. And so, you know, just kind of looking around and realizing that the writing is on the wall, is this the right time for me to move on? What would I do if I were to stay or do I want to stay? <clears throat> Parallel with that is that they're cutting back on a lot of staffing. And so if an organization was not going to exist anymore, um, there were retirement packages that were being offered to people to, you know, leave more voluntarily. And so those, you know, over the years, the packages are more lucrative, you know, or, or something. And so um, whenever the opportunity came and uh, it was pretty clear that there was not going to be an organization like I was working in and the, there was such uncertainty about what might be available for someone with my skills and background, as well as my interest in being part of a new organization and <clears throat> how lean it was going to be in, was that something that I wanted to spend another five or so years uh, working towards, just kind of became very clear to say, you know, this is, this is the right time for me. I'm gonna take this package and I'm gonna move on and you know, do the things that I wanna do in life rather than having to wake up with a 5.15 a.m. alarm clock and you know, have all of my time be devoted to something else and only a few hours in the evening to some of my own choice. Yeah. How about you, Sue? When did you know retirement was right for you? Well, I'll talk real quickly, but Jane mentioned mergers. I lived through two mergers, the Bristol-Myers and Squibb merger and the Astra-Astra-Merck, that was one merger that was ongoing and then Zeneca came in. So it's like a, a merger of three companies. And I can tell you the upheaval, I, I lived through a really bad merger with Bristol-Myers Squibb and a really well-managed merger with the AstraZeneca one. So, but the uncertainty around that, I certainly understand. Um, I would have liked to have gotten a package, but I didn't. Uh, my, my reason for, for retiring was a little different. Uh, it started one morning when the alarm went off. I usually would get up, couldn't wait to go to work. And I'll, I have to go to work again today. And I really started to not enjoy it. Um, every time I would go to Austria, which is you know uh, my, my passion, I would get there and I would say, why am I not living here? Uh, I love to live in, in Vienna. Uh, my daughter is living there now. She's a grad student. And um, so the idea was I was going to retire, get a, a, an apartment in Vienna, and that would be our European home base. I would spend the summers in Austria climbing the Alps, um, eating Wiener schnitzel, and just having a grand old time, and then uh, living in the United States the rest of the year. So if it wasn't for COVID, that was my plan. So I retired. Uh, I wanted to get my mom out of the family home. That was my one thing. And I, I could not do that working part-time. So I got her into a condo last year. She's really happy. I got my daughter over to Vienna. And so that was the plan is that I was gonna spend more time with my um, 80 plus year old mother. And every summer, I mean, I'll spend the whole summer with her. We go swimming, we go uh, walking different places and I really get to spend time with her. I, no one knows how much time we have left. And so I'm really enjoying that. Um, 
sadly, when I did finally retire and I gave them six months notice, which made it easier for the company. I made sure that I transferred all of my projects. Um, I was there when they hired my replacement. I trained her, made sure she was fully operational. And I got my inbox down to inbox zero. I actually Woo! got to get rid of all of my emails, all of my project documents. And so I ended up, when I turned my laptop back in, it was completely clean. It was like a brand new computer. Um, so that gave me, I was grateful that I gave them six months notice because when I closed the door, gave them my laptop and I walked away with a clear conscience, not thinking of, I left this undone or I didn't train that person or I never made that phone call. I got to do everything and to close everything out. And it was like closing a chapter of a book and moving on. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful I had the time and the ability to, to close it out as opposed to leaving in the middle of a merger where there's a lot of negativity and um, uncertainty during one of the mergers, I watched an entire department get wiped out, a department of 31 people. The only person left was the, the administrative coordinator who was there to answer the phones. I mean, they got let go that day. They didn't even have a week to clean out their offices, nothing. It's like, you're gone, go. And you can come back later and clean out your desk only when you have security with you. So I've, I've watched things like that and I'm grateful I got to leave on my own terms. Wow, that's amazing. I I didn't know that you both of you had um, merger experiences because I know John and Ken in our other episode, they definitely talked about it. But given that, what was your merger experience like? And can you describe a little bit about it for our students, for them to kind of, I guess, prepare them that experience? Well, I'll tell you one thing. You, you never want to burn your bridges. You always want to be neutral because you never know who's gonna be in charge? And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about when I worked at Astra versus Zeneca, the Zeneca people for some odd reason thought they were gonna be in charge and the Astra people will be working under them. When we had our first meet and greet, I sat there and I watched the landscape and I thought I've seen this movie before and I know how it ends. It was very clear that the Astra people had a better way, they knew how to better politic and so I could easily see them taking more key management roles in the organization and the Zeneca people would be more the technical side. So I tried very hard to, to bridge both of those gaps to the point where no one knew really if I was from the Astra side or the Zeneca side. When I worked at Bristol Myers, that was the first question. Oh, which side did you come from? And that dictated how you would be treated. So if you live through a merger, be nice to everyone because you never know who's gonna be top dog and you don't want to be alienated with in my case the Zeneca people who were nasty with the Astra people I was very neutral I was polite I was kind I was professional and so when opportunities came available I got a really nice promotion thanks to one of the Astra people because they didn't see me as a Zeneca person so be neutral be professional and don't align yourself with one group over the other because you just never know who's going to come out on top. For me, it was very, very different. Um, the, the news that uh, uh, DuPont and Dow were merging uh, came from public sources and not internally. Yeah, that um, was ugly. That it, was, was ugly. it was very ugly. Uh, you know, just a couple months prior to that, our CEO um, was taken out of position. 
Yeah. And uh, that kind of came as public knowledge and not through, you know, organizational challenges. So it was a time when you were getting surprising news that you never thought would have uh, come along and um, you just didn't really know what to expect. Mm -hmm. And so then it became quite harsh whenever um, any new information did come out from the organization to kind of say, this is the way it's going to be. And there are just going to be some groups and, and such that um, were no longer going to exist in the new organization. So uh, sometimes you don't get warning, sometimes you do. Um, sometimes you get opportunities like Sue did in uh, the mergers that she's talked about and sometimes you don't. And, and it's, it's hard to prepare for the kind of situation that I had experienced. Yeah, and I'll go back to what I said before, in which case you make sure you have your financial house in order. You know, mm -hmm. if you do lose your job through a merger, it happens. Make sure you have, I think what they're saying, eight months worth of, of, of money, of expenses to be able to tie you up so you can find a job that you want as opposed to the, whatever job you'll take to, to, pay, to pay the rent, uh -huh. which may be what I would call a resume stain. I, I know someone who did that, who took a job just to pay the rent. And um, yeah, it was a, a bad move and it was on their resume forever. Why did you take this low level, low life job, which actually made them look worse when they interviewed for a better high paying technical job. I think it would lead to, to say that um, no matter where you are in your career, whether you're loving what you're doing mm -hmm. or whether you're on the fence or you've gotten to the other side of the fence and you don't like it at all anymore, to, to find a way to network with companies and organizations outside of yours. Yes. So you know some other people, um, you know what the opportunities are, you know, you know when some um, sectors in the industry are growing and when some are not and how you might you know, have conversations when you need to, if you need to look for something else. Yep. That is some um, really great advice for sure. I know a lot of people tell me that already. So, uh -huh. um, so given that you guys both have had manufacturing experience and it's still chemical engineering and manufacturing is still a pretty male dominated field. What was it like being a female entering into I don't know, a plant floor? Jane? So you walk into the control room at, uh, in the catalytic cracking unit at a refinery and all the guys just kind of look and then look back to what they're doing. They're not gonna really give you, you know, any attention. So this is like their domain. This is what, where they work every day. This is, you know, their home away from home. And so you walk in, nobody wants to talk to you. So you need to kind of find a way to break in. And it's, it's uh, a certain amount of force of personality to kind of introduce yourself and uh, just rather than come in and say, here's what I need, uh, come in and say, uh, tell me about what you're working on or what's this thing? Or, you know, <clears throat> what's going on today? You know, what, you know, have you had any of this or that going on? You know, just ask and show interest in them um, and then get around to whatever the purpose is for you having to encounter them. And so it takes a while. It's not gonna you know, click like that after your first visit, but once they realize you come over every day at the same time and maybe several times a day and you know, you're reasonably interested in whatever it is that they need and you're not there to tell them what to do or to tell them to change what they've been doing for such a long time, you just kind of 
you know, find a way to fit in. I don't know that it's any different at that time versus a guy that might have come in just out of college and starting their job. Um, but you are walking into a place where there is a group of people, probably mostly male, it was in my case, um, of various ages that don't really want to deal with any new idea that you might be bringing along. Yep, that was my first internship, unfortunately, but I've definitely learned a lot of lessons from that for sure. Um, but bouncing off of what you just said, was it hard for you to create your own credibility being a female versus um, your peers? You know, you, everybody has to prove themselves. I don't know if it was being uh, based on being female versus my peers. Um, there might have been, you know, nothing kind of stands out for me in terms of there being a time where I felt like I had to work harder than my male peers uh, to um, qualify for um, an, a next position or, or to be heard. Um, there might have been some occasional times like that, but it really was not um, a big issue in the, in the various places I've been in my career. That's awesome to hear. How about you, Sue? What was your experience like being a female engineer? Well, I, I think you have to earn your stripes, but I also want to say that I think that um, the culture of the company is very different. When I worked in Indiana, which I always thought was kind of backwards, was actually very progressive. There were an equal number of women working there as there were male, so it really wasn't an issue. I didn't really feel like I had to prove myself. Uh, but I had an opportunity, I was working, um, we were transferring a product from our, our plant in New Jersey to the plant in Indiana. New Jersey, surprisingly, was very male dominated. I really had to fight my way through there. I was very surprised. I, I would have thought New Jersey would have been more progressive. So I was very surprised. And then when I had to work in Puerto Rico, it was very male dominated. In fact, we were, I was working on a project and the one guy looked at me, he says, honey, why don't you go to the mall shopping? We'll take care of this here. I thought I was gonna rip his face off. I was, and I, I was very professional and I said, no, I'll stay right here. I wanna see how this, this thing goes. And it was, I don't know if he was testing me or whatever, but uh, I, didn't, I didn't appreciate the macho uh, put down that, that he had done. So I think it's very dependent on where you work and on the different co companies. Uh, but I felt like it did some, in some way had to earn my stripes. What I found is, is an older individual, I would ask a lot of questions. And if they saw that you were truly interested, then they would tell you all kind of stuff. And, and it was, was really good. Um, I'll tell you a real quick, funny story. I had a, a maintenance guy come, I was working on a coating pan and I could tell that um, it wasn't, the airflow wasn't right. And we'd had a problem before with one of the fusible links. And these are two uh, pieces of metal that are held together by another metal that once it hits a certain temperature, that metal would melt and then it would slam the, uh, the, the exhaust air vent shut. So the mechanic comes over real macho and I tell him, hey, I think it's the fusible link. And he looked at me like, honey, you don't know what you're talking about. So he went and he traced the whole line and uh, about an hour and a half later, he comes over, he says, well, I fixed your problem. I said, well, just, you know, for next time, what was it? He sheepishly said it was the fusible link, which would have solved the problem in five minutes if only he had listened to me. You know, I never had another problem with him after that. Next time he showed up, he said, what do you think it is? 
I think it's the whatever. And he, that's where he would go look first. So it, it's a matter of, I think, sometimes earning your stripes. Um, mm -hmm. And then once, once you have that, the word gets out that, hey, she's, she's good. Leave her alone. That's an awesome story. Thank you for sharing. So going off of this topic, what advice would you guys give to current female students who are going through the chemistry curriculum or just starting their career? Sue? Um, well, I'll tell you, I, I do a lot of work with uh, the local universities, and I'll tell you a story. I met some two young ladies that worked at the, that were students at the University of Delaware, and they were doing an internship job, and the one woman was talking about, well, you know, us girls, us girls, and I said, well, who are these girls? Well, she was referring to her, to the other chemical engineer, and, and I stopped her, and I said, well, what do you call the male engineers at your place, uh, the men? And I said, well, why are you referring to yourself, <clears throat> excuse me, as the girls when you're not a girl, you're, you're a professional, you're a female, you're a woman, there's no reason. And so here was a woman actually lowering herself and she stopped and she thought, you know, I never realized what I was doing. So my answer there would be, you are as good or better than any man out there. It doesn't really matter. You have a brain, you have a perspective, go forth. Don't put yourself down. Don't think you're any less than anyone else because you have the same education as any man and, and don't think that you're less than anybody. Awesome. Thank you. That's great advice. How about you, Jane? Um, I like Sue's advice. Uh, to add to it, I I'd say that um, if you have an idea, use your voice. Yeah. Don't, don't defer. Um, step into it just you know be part of the conversation yeah. add to it and maybe even start the conversation if yeah. you have ideas if you have thoughts if you have questions um mm -hmm. get your voice out there don't don't be one to go along just make sure that um whatever it is that you have to say uh gets the time and respect to be heard you know there's this you know notion that there are no bad questions. There's a notion that there are no bad ideas. There's just, you know, collaboration. And so be part of it, um, step into it, and, and, and don't ever give, tell yourself that you need to have a backseat. Yeah, and, and, to, and to, to piggyback on that, when women ask questions, they always stop with, excuse me, I'm sorry, I have a question. What are you sorry about? Okay, why are you, you, you're now putting your question or your response down a notch. Uh -huh. Don't do that because everyone else sees that and they think less of you as well. Instead uh -huh. of saying, excuse me, I'm sorry I have a question. Say, hey, so-and-so was speaking. To piggyback on that, how about we try blah, blah, blah. You know, so watch the words that you say because I think a lot of times without even meaning to, we as women always think we should take a, a more demure, quiet perspective. Don't, you're an engineer, you're as smart as anybody else. Speak up and don't put yourself down. I'm definitely guilty of that. <laughs> <laughs> Adding to that, I'd, I'd say that um, come prepared. You know, I can't tell oh, yeah. you how many times early in my career, I knew what I was walking into, the meeting, the purpose, and and all of that, and I've come with a, a page or you know three PowerPoint slides or something like that, and say, "Been thinking about this. 
I'd like to use it at the right time in the meeting, you know, go to whoever is leading the session and say, you know, I think it'll kind of help us frame this and get to an answer sooner. We can kind of talk about this. If nobody likes it, nobody likes it, but you know, come prepared with something for people to react to. And uh, just the last thing, I know that we're all kind of talking and, and um, uh, we're adding to the conversation and enjoying this. I think women giggle more yeah. than they should, or they say something and then they laugh about, you know, maybe having said that, just kind of break the ice, not because it's a funny thing that you just said. And I would say, just be conscious of that. And, you know, again, it kind of uh, maybe takes away from your professionalism. Um, if, if you end whatever you're saying with a chuckle. Or, or, or flirting. I've seen that and I just think, oh, no, 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 no. That is not how you get ahead. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I definitely am guilty for the laughing part as well. So <laughs> I, when I'm record, when I um, edit this, I'm literally going to go through and be like, oh my gosh, I've done this so many times. I definitely do that leading like my, leading the president organization meetings as president. I do that often because as oftentimes I know I doubt my confidence um, or my abilities. There are times when humor is a good thing. When I've been in meetings where we're, the, it was very contentious and you, you almost thought a fist fight was going to break out and then you so there's, there's times for a little bit of levity and, and putting things in perspective and I've been the one to speak up the men all sat there like didn't want to say anything and, and I would say hey 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 guys come on man you know we're all working on the same team well, let's make this work out and, and sometimes that was actually helpful so yeah it's it's an interesting dynamic you know all right, awesome. Thank you guys for sharing that. So the last question um, of this episode is earlier on and throughout, we've talked a lot about networking um, and most of it came from networking after graduation. So what suggestions or advice would you give the students on pursuing networking after graduation? I'm very involved with the AICHE Philadelphia section. And if it wasn't for COVID, we would typically have a lot of, of networking opportunities for people face-to-face. -face. But not only networking, but the most important thing we do is we, we do plant tours. And even as someone who worked in the pharmaceutical industry, I'm always looking for you know, other companies. Hey, would I have been happy working in this company or that company? And so we, we, I love to go on these tours um, and to see different types of companies and the things that they do. Uh, we went to, uh, I'll call it a trash to treasure place where they actually would burn uh, garbage and turn it into fuel. Uh, I went to a wastewater treatment plant. It was interesting to see what happens when you flush the toilet. We don't think much about that, but there's some downstream chemical processes. So it was really interesting and, and each or we have opportunity. We have people that are in the senior end of things, you know, at the end of their careers, and we have people with two to three years of experience. And so it gives students an opportunity to look at different uh, environments, different companies, different cultures, and to deal with people at all different levels. So AICHE is very valuable. We also do a lot with the universities, uh, Drexel, um, Villanova, University of Delaware, Widener, uh, Villanova, I forget, I think there's six universities that we get involved with. And we'll do on-site uh, panels. We'll do on-site resume reviews. A lot of the schools will have the English majors review your resume, but 
it's really not what someone in the technical field would look for. We also do interviewing skills where we'll actually do mock interviews and then have the, the, the group will, will critique, you know, what was said, how, what was the answer. We'll bring in people that have experience actually interviewing engineers and they will talk about the type of questions that they ask and the type of, of answers that they're expecting. So all of those kind of things, I, I think AICAG brings a, a wealth uh, of those things to the party. Now that we're virtual, it's a little different dynamic. I enjoy the face-to-face. -face. So I would say network, network, network. We have lots of young professional events. Uh, we meet at local uh, brew pubs. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity and you never know who you're gonna meet who will help you to your next career. Uh, I've met Ellen Coleman. Uh, she was our uh, guest speaker at, um, at one of our, we have a gala every year. And we invite uh, key CEOs from the Philadelphia area. Ellen Coleman was the CEO of DuPont. We've had Ken Frazier, the CEO of Merck. And you have 130, 140 people there. And we have a lot of students. They come with their resumes. Or they'll come with a business card with a link to their resume or to their LinkedIn account. And it's a real quick way to get to meet people. You just can't under, underscore the value of networking. Mm -hmm. Or how about you, Jane? What advice would you suggest for people to pursue networking outside? So a really easy one, uh, being a Penn State alum, is to join the Penn State alumni chapter of the Alumni Association wherever you live. There's a chapter everywhere across the country as well as international chapters. Um, you're going to, you know, given the uh, proportion of engineers that graduate from Penn State in the context of all the other graduates, you're going to bump into other engineers who, you know, are working in your local area. Um, and, you know, it's not all about the professional networking. It's also about the fellowship and having fun. And so I think that's a really fall off the log kind of an idea around how to get into networking um, as one venue. Um, another is, um, well, I had two ideas. One was, uh, whatever the role is that you have in the company that you're going to be working with, if, you, if your company sends people to the trade organizations for the industry or the technology that um, you work within, um, ask to be able to go to those trade organization meetings. Um, it's a great opportunity to meet new people and network within you know, the area of work that you are in. Uh, sometimes companies send their seasoned experts to those kinds of uh, sessions, um, and sometimes they allow young, new engineers to be part of it. So it depends on your company and how well that, that might be possible. A third area is around um, uh, career fairs and recruiting within the companies mm -hmm. that your company might, um, might attend or participate with, and whether it's Penn State that you might um, represent your company at or some other career fair, maybe locally in the area, maybe back to a college that's local to wherever you'll be living. Um, you'll meet other people at the career fair like I did and, you know, ended up being a great networking opportunity to, for me to move from my first company to my second company. Um, but that's where I think companies like to use younger people to go and relate to um, the people who are juniors and seniors looking for internships and jobs. Um, so those would be three real quick opportunities. And then overall, I would say no matter what 
networking event you might find yourself in, tell yourself you're going to walk into it and you are going to work the room. Yes. You're going to walk in and whoever you see first, you're going to put your hand out and shake your hand and introduce yourself. And you might have a one minute conversation or you might have a 10 minute conversation. You might end up sitting down at a table with somebody there, but you know, know that there's a room full of people and you are there to network as they are. So they're not gonna think that you're not being polite. Um, and so introduce yourself, you know, have some things that are your, you know, some questions you'd like to ask or some things you'd like to talk about with regard to yourself and why you're there. And, you know, after you've met one person and you've spoken for a little while, look around and say, you know, I think I need to go over there and, you know, bump into somebody else, put your hand out, shake your hand and and work the room and give yourself um, a sense that whenever this event is over, I want to have met, you pick the number, like five or 10 new people, exchange Mm -hmm. business cards and and get your networking off the ground. Oh, that, that's very hard to do, though. As engineers, I tend to be quiet and shy. Uh, I know I've gone to many events where I'm sitting along the, the back wall, holding a glass of wine, look, w- watching the door, hoping I see somebody come in that I know, and eventually realizing that I'm not going to know anybody. So I find yeah. someone else who looks as yeah. miserable and lost as me, and I go over and I introduce myself. And people love talking about themselves. So where do you work? Where did you go to school? What was your degree in? You know, do you have any children? Do you like to travel? I can have a conversation with anybody. I wasn't always that way. I was very quiet and shy at Penn State. I know that might be hard to believe anyone that knows me now, but you have to force yourself to get out and get out of, get out of your comfort zone. And so I would meet one person, then we would find someone else who was miserable and I would kind of wave them over, hey, come on over. I don't know you, I'm so-and-so. And and I would introduce her to this other person. And before long, we would have four or five people. They would then call us to dinner. Hey, we had almost a whole table right there. And so, you know, they're happy. They got to meet people. uh, They got to talk about themselves. People love talking about themselves. Uh And so if you ask them questions, They'll think you are the smartest person that ever walked the face of the earth, okay? And the truth is that um, they're just happy to be there and that people love speaking about themselves. Uh I do want to echo off of both of that things. I know um, one of the things that I had at my first internship, so I lived in Milwaukee in Wisconsin, and one of the events that they had for young professionals was a networking event, and we were all invited. Um, There was eight of us intern at that site um, that year, and so we all went and at first we were all just like you know sitting in our little bubble just like at our own um table and then um throughout the night we had a lot of people like walk on over introduce themselves and like vice versa we also walked over and I can tell you that I still talk to some of them till this day so it's definitely um uncomfortable at first but you know once you realize that everybody's there for the same reason and embrace it you know make the most out of it so that is a great way to end this pod, um, end this podcast. But I do want to leave it out to roundtable. If you guys had anything else that you wanted to add, or any advice that you wanted to share with the students, as you think about your careers, uh, I know a lot of thought and energy goes into what will be the first job that you have coming out of school. Um, and my message is uh, twofold. One is that probably the thing that you start doing in your first job out of school is not going to be what you end up retiring doing. Um, and 
Your interests will very likely evolve. Um, your abil abilities and skills will evolve and the world will evolve. And so um, thinking about that uh, truism, I believe, um, my suggestion is to go about your career management with always having options. So um, you might be aiming for that next role or that next promotion. Like if you're in a group and you wanna become the group supervisor or something like that at some point. Um, if you put all your eggs in that one basket and things don't work out, then you find yourself really feeling like, what will, now what am I gonna do? So my message is to kind of always be thinking about options and maybe having at least two or more different things that you think you might like to do next. And you might have them lined up in a linear fashion or you might just kind of have them out there and whether you proceed through them in any particular order or jumping around or maybe you never get to them, but always give yourself some options so that the networking that you do, the way you present yourself within your company, the way you think about what might be the next thing of interest to you. Um, keep thinking about that and give yourself some ideas, but don't be so stuck in a path that you think you need to proceed along. You know, even if you have like a five-year plan, there could be like a couple of variations to get to that endpoint in the five-year plan. So, you know, chart out a couple different paths and then mm -hmm you know, think about how you go about your everyday work and how you're proceeding along in the role that you have and, you know, see where it takes you and I'll, you know, periodically regroup and see when and how you might need to change that plan. That's yeah, awesome advice. We didn't even talk about the value of a mentor, someone who will give you honest to God feedback of how you're perceived and how, how you, you are. Mm -hmm. We see ourselves as we're perfect, right? Um, but sometimes uh, people will see things in you that you didn't even see yourself. The person who suggested I take the project management job, I thought was crazy. He saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Uh -huh. and an honest to God mentor is someone very helpful. So, you know, when you have a five-year plan, you think you want to be CEO. Well, what if you don't have what it takes? You don't have the personality. You don't have the drive, whatever it is. You need somebody to be honest and give you some honest feedback about where you are. And sometimes it's hard. Um, real quick, I'll tell you one real quick story. I went to a class one time where they videotaped us and we were working on a project and it was so enlightening. I got to see myself. I was watching other people and I wasn't listening to what they had to say. I was waiting for someone to stop you know, and take a breath and I was gonna jump right in. I already had my sentence prepared. And it, I was watching myself and it was very interesting because I didn't realize I did that to other people. I didn't pay attention to them. Oh. I was more interested in, in commanding, you know, taking over the room and, and having my, my way uh, be the way to go. So uh -huh. it was helpful to have someone, here was, this was a VCR tape back in the day. And it, it really, we don't ourselves as we really are. Uh -huh. I do want to say, um, to connect both of your thoughts, I was going to add that I always tell my mentees um, all the time to set yourself up to so that you have choices that you can make. Yes. You know, set yourself up so that you're not stuck with one choice. Um, have, you know, have a fallback plan and have a variety of different 
pots you can go into, you know, don't put your eggs all in one basket. Yeah. Uh, with that being said, thank you guys for a phenomenal conversation. Um, I really enjoy this. I hope you guys do as well. Absolutely. And, really did. And thank you guys for spending the time with us today. Okay. Happy to do it. Thank you for inviting us to uh, I really participate. I heard about it. Couldn't wait to volunteer. <laughs>